Hello, welcome to In Bed With Books, the podcast where we talk about smutty fantasy, classics, and more. My name is Melissa. And I'm Bethany. If you'd like to find more of us, you can find us on our website, inbedwithbookspod.com, YouTube for video versions of the podcast, or wherever you pod on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you want to see us outside of the podcast, then head over to Instagram and follow us at InBedWithBooksPod. Thanks for being here. Let's jump right in. So, what episode is it? I don't even know. I don't actually know either. <laughs> it's I... been a while since we recorded. Yeah, is we it kind of took a break. <laughs> it might be. I'm gonna say it's 40 something yep it's 40 something and we're talking about the dispossessed today but before we get into it how was your week something looks different something looks looks different on your end what's going on over there where are you (laughs) (laughs) um pause for the kids to answer yeah I am in Phoenix officially so I'm not even fully unpacked yet like that's just some of my books. Mm-hmm. I've got kind of a couple of piles around as I'm organizing them. Um, I haven't started putting up like stuff on my walls yet. Yeah. I've been here officially now for this Monday will be two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish that I was definitely farther along, but this is just where we are. And that is just what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. So. It is what it is. Yep. But I've got my own office now, which is so nice, like separate from my bath or from my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been a huge relief to like wake up in the morning and not just see my desk and all of my work. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah it's been real nice. Um, and also, so I'm, I'm doing the classic millennial thing right now and I'm living with my parents. Yeah. Um, and the other day I woke up late and I had a meeting. And so I woke up and I was like getting ready. And when I got out of the bathroom, my mom had coffee ready for me. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really nice. (laughs) I was like, you know, I could get like, I could get used to living at home again. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, like I've just been unpacking a lot. Well, my mom and I are actually, okay. We are forcing each other to watch our favorite shows. So one day we'll watch an episode of Stranger Things, which I'm forcing her to watch. She's actually enjoying it. She is not a fan of horror. Right. Which I also get from her. But the story in Stranger Things is like so much more Mm -hmm. important. Um, But what I had forgotten about season one is that it's so much like Alien like Mm -hmm. that's the style of horror that it Mm -hmm. is in the first one or in the first season um and fun fact that movie like scarred my mom as a child yeah and so every day that we're watching an episode I'm just kind of like praying that she doesn't have like flashbacks to being a scar like a scarred little like I don't know how old she was was, like nine or something when she went to go see it yeah she like tricked into it by my uncle um so hopefully she watches this episode after we've watched mm-hmm. season one so that she doesn't think about it. Um, and if not, I'm sorry, mom, and I love you, but <laughs> you're still watching it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, but for her show that she's forcing me to watch, we are watching Cobra Kai, 
which is that show that's based on Karate Kid. Mm. And that's actually been a lot of fun. And I won't say that to her face, but it's a good show. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's something just funny about watching like, uh, so, well, the show is based around the, the villain from the first movie. And he's playing like himself hitting rock bottom in his midlife and it's actually really funny to watch like I don't think that was the intent but I'm really enjoying that so (laughs) that's fun yeah yeah so that's what I've been up to yeah I've been um surrounded by family all week Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a blessing and a a blessing in the skies (laughs) (laughs) um no it was actually really fun um we decided to rent I got get an Airbnb like a big house um and so we all and it had it was it's right on um right in the peninsula so it's um hood canal so it's mm-hmm. like seawater like it's ocean water but it's not ocean waves yeah so it feels like a lake but then like the tide goes out and it's like cleansing salty water it feels cleaner than a lake I have, it is you know, I have a lake. weird thing with lakes. I'm it sure all of our listeners know I have a weird we, thing with lakes. We definitely mentioned it in what <laughs> is the last episode. It's okay. Cause I think one of the recent episodes, two episodes ago, we talked about how we literally didn't remember recording magic powers. Right. But then as I was re- like editing the audio, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I remember talking about all this stuff and I just kept thinking that it was in other episodes. Right. So like the lake conversation, I kept thinking that that was in the, um, I think kingdom of, I, I assumed it was in kingdom of the wicked for some reason, maybe because there was like a beach scene and then it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, maybe I just made that up. But no, it was from an episode that I just forgot we recorded. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. This like thing in your brain. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But no, I think lakes are disgusting and I lived near five of them so yeah they have to be really big lakes yeah they have to be like a mini ocean yep Um, like Lake Michigan yeah so this was nice and I it was just really fun and we had like beach access and everything and then um yeah it was really fun Milo played guitar and we like sang around the fire and like the the kids like played harmonica with him it was like really cute oh that's cute yeah yeah so you get a little baby fever yeah I was just like oh god Milo (laughs) you gotta gotta be all cute now (laughs) yeah no I mean uh, you've only been married for over 10 years I know (laughs) oh yeah so that was that was fun though I I always you know everyone reads on vacation I cannot read on vacation same like I don't know who I don't know how who finds the time because like I I just especially like a family vacation I'm like oh like I want to be part of things yeah you know and so I don't want to be like you know doing the whole time reading like doing homework or something you know like I tried Um, and I got like three pages in and I don't really know what happened (laughs) that's fair um also when you're on vacation like okay so you go to the beach right yeah you're at the beach all day. When you come home, you're just fucking tired. Yeah. Like when I'm done during a normal day, I finish up working here, go Uh have dinner. And then I read to unwind Yeah, because all I've done all day is sit 
at a computer. Yeah. There's nothing I need to like recover from. Yeah. But when you're on vacation, especially like when you're going down to the beach, that's you're like doing stuff and you're like yeah. interacting with people and you're like, how do I? Well, also like just the sand alone, walking on sand is a workout. Yeah. Like I wish I was exaggerating, but it kind of is. Yeah. Um, so if you just go to the beach, don't even play or anything. If you just go to the beach, you're still yeah. exerting <laughs> so much energy. You're all sweaty yeah. and sticky. I know yeah, like well, we would get, we would like lay down in bed after swimming for hours and we'd be like, I'm everything's so sticky. Cause like we're sticky and like yep. the sheets are like dry and like starchy. And we're like mm-hmm. <laughs> my hair. Oh my gosh. Oh, salt water and bleached hair does not mix well yeah. yeah I was like oh I hate this I had to wash it like every day um yeah I'm sure yeah. but yeah it was fun I'm a little sunburned you can see I'm a little little lost it's just it's just a little bit of um it's gonna turn tan <laughs> yeah you're just or peel uh, off DI- DIY bronzing yeah so. <laughs> exactly what's the thing I didn't have to do it up here (laughs) yeah yeah what's the the technique called when you use like blush like bronzer I don't know contouring I I guess like contouring with blush you know yeah instead of like bronzer that's basically what you've done yeah 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 it was totally on purpose not (laughs) not hubris or anything no yeah okay All right. Well, today we're talking about The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. Yep. I read this in college and I read, was like, I need to read this again. And like, you're the only person I know who would probably like get a lot from something like this because it's like I was kind of telling you like this isn't everyone's cup of tea it's like a Mm -hmm. dense philosophical political yeah science fiction um it also kind of does that thing that a lot of classic novels do where like at the very end you're like okay but like what action actually happened yeah because the action itself isn't important as important Mm -hmm. as like the character growth yeah it's a character driven book more than a, a plot driven book. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Which, um, it's probably also why I like it. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I'm not think, usually a fan of those just because yeah. like, unless they're feeding me something, I'm kind of like, I don't, I'm not, I think that's what another, I think that's another one of our polarizations. Like, yeah, I yeah. really like character driven and you really like plot driven. Yeah. I need yeah. stakes, but this one had stakes just as much yeah. as it had character so um yeah this was my first time reading it Mm -hmm. it was my first Le Guin so that cherry is popped um I loved it I absolutely loved it this is the first book in a while that I've annotated all the way through Mm -hmm. because I do have a hard time maintaining it partially I think because annotating for me tends to be just like a way to engage with the book to start mm-hmm. so like once I get like a third of the way through I'm, I'm good I can just keep reading yeah um but this one I just actively wanted to keep taking notes I just it gives so many thoughts yes so yeah yeah there, it's a very existential book I yeah. posted I I posted like a story on my like wine and more account mm-hmm. about like the suffering passage or whatever and yeah. my friend was like what a Pisces 
quote. Like, yeah. She's yep. like, God, you're a Pisces. I'm like, I know. And I love it. <laughs> like, it's all about suffering and stuff. Like, but you know, uh, life is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but okay. yeah, like I picked up a lot more this time around well, it's, than I did. Like, I'm just a better reader now. And like, I imagine that's also just the general experience with a book this dense. Yes. That you don't have to like race to read for school or anything. Yeah. 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 Well, cause you like on the one hand, you, we didn't have to race to read it, which was very nice. We had yeah. a nice little extended break because of my move and your little trip with, yeah. uh, I say little only because it like you were only a couple of hours away from your, your house. Yeah. Um, but it seems like we both needed the break mm-hmm. and like that space to read this. But also like after you read it the first time, like we talked about, I think kind of with Frankenstein, I've read Frankenstein several times at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and so once you get over kind of like the superficial layer, mm-hmm. that top, that very topical stuff, then you can kind of start to engage with the content a little deeper yeah. with each read. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to read this again in the, probably the far future because yeah. we're still trying to get like our reading groove down with yeah. this and our personal reading but like I fully intend to like separately annotate every single time I read it so I can see what mm-hmm. else I'm able to like squeeze out of this book yeah so yeah also that being said disclaimer for ourselves and for you lovely listeners and viewers there's no way we're going to cover everything that we want to cover today. Yeah. So we have narrowed it down to a few things that we know we want to talk about. And we're hoping that we make it to all of those. Mm-hmm. But at the very end, there's no way we're going to feel satisfied. Yeah. So, yeah. You were like, we're going to be so angry at ourselves. Yeah. yeah there's just no way. Because we're, we're going to be like, oh, I, I should have said that or that. Because there is yeah. so much in this book. It is dense with ideas mm-hmm. and everything. And so, yeah, it's definitely disclaimer (laughs) yeah yeah all right so how about you start okay so one of the I would say bigger themes like the very obvious themes in this is the kind of like I versus we conversation that's being had and there's like a few like it's not just I versus we but it's othering and like Mm -hmm. the one of the very last lines here I will read it Real quick, yep. actually, it might be a good idea since this isn't like a super popular book right now to maybe mm-hmm. just give a like a tiny like summary of like what's going on. So that yeah, in case yeah. people are just listening to this to get ideas. No, that's, um, fair, that's fair. So uh, real quick. So then the dispossessed is um, starts with Shevik, who is a physicist on the planet Anaris, which, which is actually a moon which is actually the moon of yes. the, of its earth, um, Eurus. Mm-hmm. So Eurus is where they first, so 200 years ago, there was a revolution on Eurus. Um, and they left that left Eurus and settled on their moon Anaris mm-hmm. and started an anarchist, um, society. So it is a complete anarchist society where everything is shared, everything's communal, nobody owns anything, there's no money, um, and there's, uh, what do they call it, labor rotations, 
so that their, what is it div lab is what they call it yeah div lab where division um, of labor yeah division of labor um and uh so shevik um the first chapter is him going on a ship to go visit Eurus, and they, no one's been to Eurus for two for 200 years yeah um and so each chapter is one of one in which he's on Eurus and like having that experience and mm -hmm. seeing a capitalistic society for the first time. And yeah. then the other chapters are kind of his like life in Inaris up to that point. Mm -hmm. And um, he is, so you learn his, his like kind of perspective of seeing a capitalist society from his mm -hmm. like growing up and being an anarchist all of his life and having kind of that philosophy ingrained in him. And then also learning the, what an anarchist planet can actually do. Cause there's, yeah. there is a point where they have like a famine and it's like, it gets pretty gritty and interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of the general, the general kind of plot. Um, yeah. But well, yeah. Eris is very much just earth. Yeah. Essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, Okay, before I get, I guess, before I get yeah. into all those other thoughts, because there's a lot, but I, starting small, which is actually starting big, so we can get into the small, mm -hmm. which is actually big. Okay, yep. <laughs> so there's this, like, if we want to talk about, like, the mirror, basically, that Urus and Anaris are for each other, mm -hmm. Urus is we. And Anar, sorry, Urus is I, and Anaris is we, mm -hmm. in this whole like scenario, mm -hmm. um, and that's very like clearly brought up a few times, very blatantly brought up. So there's the mm -hmm. scene where Shavik goes to Vea's for the party, and um, I think it's at the party because I think it was the guy who he says is not a physicist, but he has a lot of money, like so he likes to think of himself as such, and like pay or something I think. yeah so he can pay to to basically get the books and then he just knows like the basics what is it jack of all trades master of none right. kind of situation um very flat thinking as well and he's like well you know the other is how we define ourselves basically mm -hmm. and um on the one hand when we first kind of start seeing anaris in the flashbacks it seems like it's it's not blatantly saying it, but just by the structure of their society, you're seeing that expression of solidarity of the we kind mm -hmm. of situation. But surprisingly, Urus is a lot more willing to like blatantly say they're only interested in the I and the singular and the individual than I was expecting. Mm. Um sorry that's a tangent I'm not a tangent I guess but not exactly where I wanted to start but the quote that I pulled out so there is um oh, hold on wrong one I've got so many quotes sorry what here we go so it's when what who is his name but up is that his name? Badap. Thank you. Badap comes back to their place after they've talked to the syndicate near the end. 
mm-hmm. and they're like we need to send someone to Uros and they're like fuck you no you don't mm-hmm. um but Betapps is the syndicate the syndicate is cutting awfully close to the basic societal bond the fear of the stranger and so I love that they recognize on the one hand that technically a lot of societies and I, I guess technically isn't even really the right, right word but like without even really realizing it societies define themselves as opposed to others and I mean you see this in everything so like we see it in race mm-hmm. because that has become like a defining feature in people of color versus white people not that that's like entirely a bad thing was bad is how it ends up getting used mm-hmm. um which we see in Eris. But I like the way that... Okay, so to preface this as well, I am very much a supporter of the we mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, the the kind of phrases that she was dropping throughout this, like solidarity, um, which isn't Mut- a phrase, but m- mutual, mutual aid. aid. That mm-hmm. one popped out and I was like, holy shit, like that, mm-hmm. like these are all buzzwords now. Mm-hmm because this is a conversation that like has not been resolved yet Mm -hmm. um because we're still living in like the the throes of of what urus is um but she never really answers it because there's still that thread in like anaris of just basic human corruption yeah and and like not in a bad way but in the final flashback scene for him which is just before so during like that meeting and everything um there's the young guy that he talks about being new to the syndicate Mm -hmm. and he's basically like an evangelical about um odonia odonianism Mm -hmm. because they say something and then he's like you don't even have the right to say her name if you're going to talk like that. Yeah. Which is such an odd thing for a a a free society society to say. A free society and also a society that's like, that prides itself on not being religious Mm -hmm. because the notion that something is so sacred that you shouldn't say it if you're suggesting going back to a planet is, I mean, that's, that's a pretty religious standpoint to be coming from even if you're not going to base a religion around it but even mm-hmm. then the way they even he talks about adonianism feels very like early buddhism mm-hmm. or what i can only imagine like early christianity was reading the teachings of like jesus christ yeah um so yeah that was a fun conversation that they were having throughout yeah it kind of um where to start um I know I know like (laughs) Like, well I could go this way or I could go that way there's just so many avenues to go um there is kind of this theme that she's pushing throughout which with Anaris specifically Mm -hmm. which is the revolutionary spirit and I think she says that phrase once yeah in the whole thing and this is not a new phrase in the um canon of political philosophy i don't know who started it but it's definitely in hannah arendt's on revolution 
mm -hmm. um, she uses it's it's kind of a whole uh, theory in itself. But the idea is that Anaris is a revolution. That's yeah. how the society should function. Yep. And a revolution is an is ideas. And yep. it's constantly questioning and constantly doing. It's change. And, and change, yes. It's constantly yes. rotating change. And yeah. so what's happened is Anaris has gotten comfortable with yeah. the status quo. And so through bureaucracy. Yeah. So um, so it is very interesting. And I kind of and I kind of like that if if Anaris was like this like perfect utopia, it would feel unachievable. Yeah. But this well, felt like I feel like I saw it. You know, like, I feel like it was uh, the, a way in which I, ex it was like, I felt like I experienced it on a, on a mm -hmm. certain level that felt really real. Yeah. Rather than just an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the practice of that. And I've got mm -hmm. the quote here, if you'd like me to read it. Yes. Okay. So this is from, let's see, it's either from Shevik or it's from the old man. It's mm -hmm. unclear based on, she just says he, and I'm not entirely sure if it's Shevik with the old man, but yeah. revolution is our obligation, our hope of evolution. And then he quotes Odo, the revolution is in the individual spirit or it is nowhere. It is for all or it is nothing. If it is seen as having any end, it will never truly begin. And I think that line right there is really what it needs to be. So like, I I know I've talked about this on the podcast before because I brought it up, I think when we talked about Wollstonecraft, mm -hmm. um, but like, look at the actual word of revolution. The other definition of it is like a turn of the wheel. Revolving, yeah. Revolving, yeah. And so it, on the one hand, it's representative of the fact that it is going to continue to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, why does that continue to happen? Well, because people change. So what defines that utopia has to change with those people? Yeah. This is something that I also like, as much as I, like we, we have on occasion talked philosophy on here because we're masters, former masters, students, masters, graduates with like big airheads, right? Um, <laughs> but the one thing that really bothers me about some of these like philosophy conversations not that we've had but just like generally mm -hmm. is the lack of practicality it's like we can talk about this all we want but there's like a human on the other end of this conversation mm -hmm. this isn't some abstract like we're talking about actual humans interacting with each other and so the idea of revolution as an upheaval within a society but also as a continuing process because people change is inherently dependent on the fact that people are going to die off and there will be a new generation mm -hmm. a new society regardless of the fact of if anything changes but the people that make up that society are going to be new mm -hmm. and so by default it is going to be a new society um and so i like the way that she's very like Le Guin is very clearly just putting that into our faces yeah like if you imagine it's, an end a, point, she's applying it yeah. Mm -hmm. Like if you if you imagine an end point, then it's not circle. A circle mm -hmm. does not have an end. So, and I love that because, so when he solves the simultaneity, mm -hmm. simul simultaneity, simultaneity, thank you. 
I I pronounced it correctly in my head when I was reading it, of course. It's very easy <laughs> to pronounce it right in your head. <laughs> like, oh yes, I'm so smart. And then I and yeah. then my mouth opens and I'm like, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> when he when he uh solves this simultaneity theory, that's what solves it. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty dense couple of pages there. I had to reread it a few times because I really mm-hmm. wanted to figure out. Because it was supposed, it wasn't supposed to be like a literal like physics equation yeah. for us, but it was supposed to kind of walk us through like what's going on in his brain and how he's like um, distinguishing things and like yeah applying things. So, and also the scene where he, sorry, this is a real quick, real quick tangent. The scene where he's doing the math to figure this out because he's like fuck these people, very like Frankenstein staying up. At for a month straight to create his monster and then sending his body into illness yeah very like masters doing your dissertation and right up until the last minute and then crying the next day yeah so and then yeah vomiting <laughs> yeah crying vomiting throwing yeah up. yeah um he he realizes that he was he was relying too much on certainty yeah and that is by extension, the nature of revolution is uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and so he was relying too much on certainty. The certainty, the certainty of some like whatever function or whatever he was using in his um, equation, that once he stepped outside of that, then he was able to move forward. Yeah. Um, and so when you're too worried about the the end like you were saying mm-hmm. you forget the the means the process um, the process yeah. yeah um and you you know the his whole um example of like throwing the rock at the tree mm-hmm. is like if you're so if you're so focused on the rock hitting the tree you don't realize that it's also like, you don't even know what, you don't even know how to get it out of your hand kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so you have to kind of, yeah. So I, well, also, I thought like, that was interesting. Cause he brings up the rock and the tree a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I liked when he was having that conversation with the students, not with like the kids when he was younger, obviously. Cause that was kind of just like sad. The teacher like shamed him in front of everybody. And I was like, wow. I feel that okay red flag um, yeah red flag um <laughs> definitely one of those moments though too where Le Guin was like it's not a perfect society yeah exactly I love um, she uh planted that yeah. seed early yeah um but when he's talking with students about it later and he's like there's those that see it as the rock never reaches the tree because it's always going to be like, it always has to go halfway there, mm-hmm. halfway there. And there's those that see that it's already at the tree. Both are wrong. Mm-hmm. Both are right. Yeah. And like, that was very much also just the answer to the, like the, mm-hmm. the political question of her novel, which is like, which country or which, which planet is right. It's like, they're both wrong and they're both right. Mm-hmm. Because for one, you're sacrificing the rest of your society for your luxuries and for the other and like not just luxuries but 
comforts comfort yeah like people deserve comfort um but then on like anaris they're sacrificing comfort for the rest of the society and i think that's that's the turning point that i would argue anaris is at because they're only 200 years old they're only Mm -hmm. like what is it like i would say four generations Mm -hmm. and so arguably the reason that that's happening right now is because they're stepping out of the struggle of trying to establish themselves and stepping into what does the next step look like yeah which is an entirely different story and that's so again that's why revolutions continually happen because once you reach the point where growth is no longer sustainable or like where growth is necessary Mm -hmm. then what you currently have is just no longer sustainable yeah yeah and like I guess I mean that in a couple of like the general like social aspect but also in the like very literal resource aspect so like how does that look moving forward Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people when they hear the word anarchist have like a very violent very you know chaotic kind of idea about you know the may day like and everyone goes down and like break you know breaks the windows of corporate businesses but it's like this the, the, like completely reimagined it for me this book like yeah because anarchy a- applied when everyone's on board because it, it only works when everyone's on board yeah um and it can't it it kind of does live in a vacuum. <laughs> it does. It does. It actually only can exist in a vacuum. And it's because like in its best form. Yeah. I think the, the term gets thrown around very yes. easily. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was having this conversation with Milo and I was mm-hmm. telling him like, I started reading it and I was like, oh, it's this it's just so interesting. And I was talking about anarchy and he was like, well, what, what, but like people, it's like, what happens when someone does something wrong? What happens when they steal your shit or they like break or they do, you know, or they like murder. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, first of all, you don't own anything. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and I, and I read to him the conversation where he goes to the, the, the OIs. Oh, oh, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and talks to the kids and they're like asking questions like what happens? And it was just such a, a simple conversation about like, well, you know, if someone's being annoying, they kind of get people just don't talk. People don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They, and so there's no real reason to like act out because you don't want that to happen to you. And so, yeah. Um, I think when too, everyone has when everyone has the same thing and everyone's on yeah. the same playing field mm-hmm. and there is like literal like equality it's amazing how when all your needs are is, met you have nothing yes you you have you have a lot to lose if you fuck yep. up yep and I think too like so the the subject of the famine when you brought that up mm-hmm. It would be very easy to assume that people are taking advantage at that point 
But what's mm -hmm. actually happening is they're being so transparent about how the mm -hmm. issues are in all of the regions mm -hmm. that the solution is simply to work together. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is one of my favorite things. And I, I, again, I think this is something that I've brought up before, but it's one of my favorite things that I learned in undergrad, actually. Um, and to cite the person who said it, I, I believe it was Laura Swantek, who is a, an awesome archaeologist. If it wasn't her, then I, I don't quote me on that, but I'm like 97% sure it was her. Um, when you're looking at ruins of a civilization, one way to tell if it's an actual society is if you see people, you see remains with healed bones, with healed breaks, because what it means is that they're coming together to help mm -hmm. each other. Mm. instead of leaving them behind and not to be like animals versus humans but when an animal gets hurt a lot enough they'll be abandoned mm -hmm. look at like all of the kittens that Talon took in over the two years that we were in Houston um <laughs> all abandoned by their mothers for good reason as they were all biters but um a society that takes the time to care for their um their citizens mm -hmm. is a society that succeeds because it's not just a one-person job either like we've gotten so it reminds me so like Vea at one point she talks about wanting to be free so that she doesn't have to care about anyone but mm -hmm. that's not freedom yeah also, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think it was Laura, but she's still an amazing archaeologist. And so if anyone's <laughs> interested in archaeology, you should definitely look up her stuff. Um, her like research and stuff, not just don't go stalk her on social media, please. <laughs> um, so one, so this is, this is actually why I remember. So I remember reading recently that they had found remains of somebody who clearly had like in a cave or something. So like not anywhere like a castle or like clearly not royal who had several deformities some were like it seemed genetic whereas some were like broken bones and stuff which likely happened from the fact that they had other genetic issues that were leading to some instability in their body and stuff but they also showed evidence of being very old mm. So they were taken care of. So they were taken care of. Exactly. Exactly. It's like a society cannot exist without the ability to take care of its members. Um, God, what were we talking about that got me on this subject real quick? Hold on. Let me get back to my point. We're talking about like the, the uh, perceptions of anarchy. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So anarchy, like you said, anarchy can only exist within a vacuum, but it has to exist within... A, like a group of people that agree upon things mm -hmm. so the, the the term anarchy gets thrown around a lot and so there's one point when i want to say it's paye um it's after so it's after he's got his hangover after bea's party actually and paye comes into his room and he's talking about like wanting to go out and he's like well restrictions um and he's like you hold the keys shevik said with an ingenuous smile Oh, I'm an absolute special in it. I love getting around the rules and outwitting the authorities. Perhaps I'm a natural anarchist. And this is the mm -hmm. guy who's like spying on him. Mm -hmm. 
And so there's so much mm-hmm. when we're looking at, because language also, their their languages against each other play a big role mm-hmm. in, in their like, well, language generally plays a big role in how we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's to see the way that Arasti use words like anarchist just to mean like he oh he breaks the rules like no anarchist doesn't have rules mm-hmm. an anarchist defies that yeah but for him it's just because chaos take, yeah yeah just because he'll take them out with like permission because he's allowed to yeah but because he does it like without the superiors knowing it's like that's not anarchy paille that's yeah sad for you so that was the first time that I noticed it but that was so that was probably about 30 pages before the meeting with the syndicate but then with the syndicate even the way that they were thinking about it like it clearly like you had said earlier when you said um they've grown complacent and comfortable Mm -hmm. in their position like even the syndicate's idea of what anarchy is meant to be is mm-hmm. so defined by Odo's rules. And they aren't even rules. Odo's just like her journals, basically, like her letters in yeah. prison, which is not like. Well, like, yeah, the, the idea of a revolution is that it should be always changing. Yeah. Um, like we learned that in school with like mm-hmm. a constitution and how like, you know, Burke versus French Revolution, like that yeah. kind of whole thing which is what i wrote on the idea of like you uh uh um the american revolution wasn't a true revolution because we wrote the constitution and we we were done we basically just britain 2.0 with less yeah, taxes exactly yeah um and more slavery yeah <laughs> um and uh and with the french revolution it, it went through like a almost a 50 hundred year period of constantly yeah. changing well and then at the very for end better or for worse yeah at the very <laughs> end what happens is they don't have royals now yeah exactly so, like there was like an actual redefinition yes of their whole system yeah yeah exactly yeah. um so uh so what's interesting is like odo then just becomes her journals just become a bible like it becomes yeah. a constitution yeah that that they they define their rules it's like it's like quoting scripture to like get an idea across Mm -hmm. and it's like okay but like what happened to individual thought yeah and i realized too that um so there's the 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 whole arc of the plot and shevik's like journey is like is just so well formulated like Mm -hmm. i can't say that enough because there is his time on Anaris, right? And then there's his time on Urus. And when he's on Anaris, he's trying to, he, you're learning what's leading him up to actually going to Urus. Yeah. Which is, he realizes that's the only way to, to help Anaris mm-hmm. because he learns how complacent they are. And he he's, says, he's, he's basically he says, just trying to, to create, go. like, he's creating a, a revolution. Yeah. Like, he's like, he is so you we talk you talk about the wheel mm-hmm. it's kind of like Hannah Arendt's like idea of like this rectin rectilinear 
like idea of time and history Mm -hmm. where it's just like kind of repeats itself but every generation it gets a little bit outside and Mm -hmm. it gets a little bit further and like changes and it's just constantly revolving and changing so he's like he's recognized that yeah recognize that that the only way to get out of this circle of anaris out of its own like organism so to speak is to like leave and then everyone's like up in arms and like the first chapter is a a harrowing scene because someone dies because someone throws a rock while they're like getting on the ship like people are very upset about it um but then people are also excited about it so it's like polarization like the sorry just the very last line of that chapter when he's like well i'm the traitor what are you gonna do with me yeah which is very like looking back very funny now based on what we've read of his like leading up to that point yeah um also on the the note of odo and like the the biblical nature of her writings there's this conversation when he's with kang the earth ambassador and she's like well what do you want to do and he's like please take me home like i want to go home um let's see what does she say she's trying to get him to kind of i guess not get him but she's like i mean you can go to thu you're welcome to stay here because this is like free soil for you and the last line he says when he's like no take me home is dead anarchists make martyrs you know and keep living for centuries but absent ones can be forgotten and that is odo mm-hmm. um there's even at one point he like sees I guess he I don't know if he sees her grave or he has like the realization at some marker or something that the woman that they worship there never even went to Anaris yeah she lived and walked on and like died on Urus but they've basically like sanctified her yeah because in their eyes like letters from prison is one of her her big writings for them and that's huge like that not to like downplay that at all but that's a very inflammatory kind of context for something to be reading yeah it it and which to be fair was also what the bible was oh yeah and i think it's so interesting because it's it becomes so heretical or what am i trying to say the not that word the um... blasphemous no hold on sacred no um Mm -hmm. fanatical people get very fanatical about it yeah and then and then you realize actually you know when what's his face was reading or was writing second corinthians Mm -hmm. It he was it was just a suggestion, you know, like yeah, he was just like it wasn't intended to be this. People like, are taking these journals basically, and like, yeah, and making t- turning it into something, evangelizing and, them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and the words themselves are not like really fanatical. It's literally just like one person. It's the yeah doodling, and then when everyone decides that that's how everyone should think it's you get real problematic then king james brought together a bunch of 
scholars <laughs> and redefined what the Bible is. And yeah. here we are. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the kind of slow breakdown of Odo as this like figure was really interesting because it yeah. was very like Christ-like figure for yeah. them. Um, shoot. I lost it. That's okay. Thank you. There's a lot going on upstairs There's a lot. right now. Yeah, there is. Like this upstairs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, um, I can, uh, I can move on with a topic if you like. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so in my, my class briefly, we, um, read this book. Um, in fact, we, it was a class on Hannah Arendt's the human condition, um, where we read literature and studied historical events and also other philosophy and applied this theory. Um, and reading this again, the dispossessed, I was like, this is dripping with Arendt. Like I was like, oh, of course, like Le Guin has been reading Arendt, obviously. And like Heidegger and all that, like She's very well read <laughs> in the philosophy. Obviously, it's just a masterpiece, this book. So it's very thorough. And uh, so in The Human Condition, Arendt separates the human condition into three categories. One of them is labor. One of them is work. And one of them is action. Labor is the cyclical, the things you have to do that are necessary in order to survive. They are the things that you do over and over. Things like the laboring classes, you know, um, kind of general term, you know, things that need to be going on in order to sustain life. Okay. So things um, that generally Republicans don't respect. Right. Yeah. They have other people do for them. Yes. Um, work is man's um, legacy. Okay. So the craftsmen, um, the buildings, the architecture, things that are going to last, the legacy of man. And we even had a really interesting discussion about, because um, it's, um, Arendt refers to it as like material things. Um, but someone had asked, well, what, what about like sacred spaces that like the Native Americans like held mm -hmm. that weren't like structures, but they were like spaces. And I think that could also be like, I just thought that was like an interesting um, question. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's something that we create mm -hmm. like from our mind, our brains, right? and put out into the world. Action is um, mainly speech or action, but mm -hmm. um, it's when you, it's the sharing of ideas, it's voting, it's violence okay. in terms like uh, political violence, um, things, you know, that, cause people to listen 
So they can be like actions, actual actions, but mainly it's speech. It's putting, it's, it's a new birth, right? It's the person being born and it's a brand new living. It's a brand new thing that's never happened before. That's action. So what I love is seeing this kind of play out in this book, which mm-hmm. is like Anaris is very much labor. No, not a lot of work. There is some art going on and there's some architecture. So there is a little bit, but it's not as highly valued, I would say, as in yeah. Urus. Yeah. And I would say to, so like Tyrion, mm-hmm. he made a play and that was like, it seemed like for a while it was considered this kind of like moral failing because he did not contribute something as, as Sebel is constantly saying, is like, what's mm-hmm. the practical use of this? How does this contribute? The functionality, the yeah. The functionality of things. So like that is, I think, part of this revolution that Anaris mm-hmm. is going through, which yeah. is stepping more towards work in the art yeah. sense of this yeah. like production progeny and more, of, more than just progeny as children. The progeny as like what is my legacy yes what do i leave behind because that was something that shevik was struggling with mm-hmm. um and actually when he went to urus he like realized that he was doing all of this work um oh no it wasn't an Aris. Is when he was doing all this work and he was getting suicidal because he was like, "What's the point? What am I yeah. doing this for?" So it was a, he he had the mean he was he had the means down, but there was no end to it. So then yeah. you feel like purposeless. There's yeah. no purpose to it. And then when then when he's in Eurus and he's describing the students and how it's all about the test, it's all about the oh ends. my god, I loved that. That like was that, so crazy. Yeah, I actually have the quote. I marked that too because I was like, "That's just like." the current u.s education system yeah um they never fell asleep in class because they were tired because they were tired from having worked on rotational duty the day before their society maintained them in complete freedom from want distraction and cares what they were free to do however was another question it appeared to shevik that their freedom from obligation was in exact proportion to their lack of freedom of initiative so they, Shevik was like asking the students, tell me how you get to the answer. And they're like, we just want to give you the answer. Tell us the yeah. answer, you know? Yep. It's just very interesting. Especially so, when there's that point when he's like at the end of the semester, I was, I had to make a test. So I told them that everyone would pass and they actually got angry because yeah. then how are they supposed to know who's better than the others? Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Very uh like <laughs> crying a little bit in the corner, like, oh God, that used to be me kind of thing, but oh yeah. We're fine. Oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so in Anaris, he didn't have purpose. In Urus, he was doing the work and it felt meaningless mm-hmm. because not because it didn't have purpose, but because no one wanted to discuss things with him and like mm-hmm. how things worked. So there was like it's just kind of like these two ends of the coin that didn't really work. Yeah. Um, so action is the revolution. Yeah. Action is him doing the speech in front of the square. It's him going to Eurus. Mm-hmm. It's him actually writing down 
what NRS is to, I forget his name, the, the uh, guy that was heading up the revolution. Oh, in Urus. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like, he's like, oh, I'll write everything down because they were still studying like what Anaris was, but they have had no contact with Anaris. And so they don't know what it actually looks like. Yeah. They're just like, have this imagination. So he like wrote down what it does look like. And so, you know, Odo, that's, that's action. You know, it's, it's, um, it's the exchange of ideas. Yeah. Um, that is constant. It changes people. I also do want to point out that like, so he has that line about martyrs in mm-hmm. um in the earth embassy but by his own planet standards now he's also an anarchist so by that logic he's going back to his own planet to potentially be a martyr or a forgotten revolutionary mm-hmm. so i do kind of um well, I like that they that she still leaves it as an open-ended question with that, because in the same vein, if she were to add an end point to that, then it could not be a revolutionary text. Yeah. So yeah, there's that yes, because that's actually another characteristic of action is that you have no control yeah. over what happens to it. Yeah. So you can write it, but you don't have any control over whether like Odo. Yeah. She had no control over what was going to happen. And she, she probably didn't even realize she was going to have this like yep. <laughs> whole society. Yep. Um, yeah. And that's the thing is like with him, he's like at least like got this cursory understanding of that potential, but he's mm-hmm. not doing it with that intent. He's like, it feels very much like he's just doing it so that somebody will care about his work yeah and i'm not even saying that as like to diminish his goals or his intentions Mm -hmm. with like the action but wouldn't we all like to raise hell like that just to be noticed like Mm -hmm. for the work that we've done not to say that i'm gonna like do anything crazy but well that's that's actually another element of it that i didn't think about until now which is like uh, you kind of talked about I versus we, but there's this other kind of layer where there's the individual and there's the social, or- there's the organism, right? Mm-hmm. Where Urus is able to distinguish itself from other people and an individual is able to distinguish itself from someone else based off of their monetary output, all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, birth hierarchies all of that um and anaris is this everyone's on the same plane yeah um however anaris is meant to be a a safe place for individual thought Mm-hmm. So then you have Tyrion, who kind of gets squeezed out of, he writes that play about a Eurasti like coming to Anaris and like trying to buy things and like 
trying to, to like buy a hooker and stuff. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, I'll just fuck you. And he's like, yeah. no, I have to pay you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of gets, um, syndicated. What is it called? Um, drafted kind of to a, mm-hmm. a labor different la- you know, just kind of to the outskirts away. And then he gets put in, uh, their idea of like, um, asylum or some kind of, um, mm-hmm. place. Um, so they, they essentially snuffed him out of yep. the social organism. Yeah. So there's still, um, there's still that, and, oh, there's this wonderful quote about an anarchist can break a law and hope to get away unpunished. Sorry. An archist okay. <laughs> can yeah. break a law and hope to get away unpunished, but you can't break a custom. It's the framework of your life with other people. Yeah. We're only the begin. We're only beginning to feel what it's like to be revolutionaries and it's isn't comfortable. Yeah. And that was Badap, which I yeah. love Badap. I love him. I think he's really cool. I, other than like Shevik and a couple of the, like, I think like Oye and then like Tokfer or Tokfer. Yeah, Tokfer. I don't know the other characters apart. The names were just so strange sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. kept having to like reference the map. Yeah. To just know which planet we were on. Yeah, no worries. I, I I have the advantage of having read it before too. No, that's so fair, I'm, that's fair. we've covered Badap before. Badap is the one that um is from Anaris. He was having the conversation about suffering with Shevik at the very beginning when they were like teenagers. Yes. Okay, and then so they, they go, like they go far back. Yeah, they go far back and then they like reunite they like find each other in like the Abony, the cap, mm-hmm. the capital, the big city or whatever in Anaris. Yeah. And, uh, they connect and, but app is kind of to Shevik, which is interesting because Shevik, you realize how conservative he is mm-hmm. or how much he believes in Anaris still mm-hmm. like, and, and, and is kind of, I would say a little fanatical about it. Yeah. Odo. Yeah. Um, which I didn't realize the first time. This time I was like, wow, yeah, shove it. Come on. Yeah. It's like, we <laughs> get Don't it. you Reddit. see? Yeah. And Badap kind of like talks about like all of this, like how this, the syndicates like separate couples mm-hmm. and there's like kind of a, a lot of bureaucracy going on and what happened with Tiran mm-hmm. and, um, and Badap, what did, what did they call it? They had a word for it, but it's someone who doesn't accept a job to go out and like do general labor. Um, it starts with an N and they use oh. it like once. So it's not that important, but there's yeah, a word. Like a, nah. Yeah. It's something. Yep. There's a word for people who just live and they don't contribute. Mm-hmm. And Shevik kind of shames him in his perspective of, but, but then um, he does it later. And then he does it later. Yep. So I love, I love that there's like this like evolution, yeah. but like, but app is just like, you're suicidal because you know, these are all lies mm-hmm. essentially. Like, you know, that they're lying to you, that this isn't a real revolution. We should be able mm-hmm. to think Tyrion should be able, you know, and then they kind of go into the logistics and like Shevik was like coming up with all of these excuses about, well, t- you can only go there if you like go there f- freely. So he must've like wanted to go. 
And he's like, you know, I don't know. And so they like kind of go down that rabbit hole of like, it's the walls are kind of coming down. And I love that analogy of the wall. Yeah. Because this was also written in the early seventies, came out in 1975. So there was like the Berlin wall going on. There's a lot of walls going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the analogy of the physical wall versus the psychological wall. Yeah. And, um, the walls that you, that you hit when you're in a conversation with someone, but also the walls that come down when you realize the truth. When they ask the right questions. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, but that becomes like a, a lifelong friend because he comes back later. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember him clearly later. Mm-hmm. I think like leading up to that, I was just like, there's so many names and you're yeah. meeting all of these new people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, but... I, I remember that too. I had the same <laughs> issue <laughs> at the beginning. Um, yeah. But no, I liked him in the, in the scenes that I remember him distinctly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, shoot. I had another point. Hold on. Hold on. It's okay. The dab. It had to do with the dab. Was it the class stuff? Was it on Urus or on Anaris? Uh, was it about um, distinct distinctions between people and hierarchies? And stuff? It did have to do with Badap. Usually when I try and guess and then you say it, it's like something completely different no, that's from fair, what I thought. Fair. So I'm like, <laughs> usually you're like, you literally are going on like a completely different direction sometimes, which is good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, it'll be, it'll be like one thing that you've said and I'll be like that. And it's like, yeah, yes. branch. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, I can just branch this into my conversation on like the myth of the apolitical. Mm-hmm. I think that fits well. Mm-hmm. That does bring to mind this kind of another theme that I think was unsaid on an RS, but is blatant, more blatant in Urus, which again is like only is what's the word I'm looking for? Shevik's visit was imperative for him. Oh, I remember what it was. <gasps> Yay. Okay. okay. So it does have to do with Shevik, like the kind of Shevik versus. Badep a little bit, but then Shevik versus the people that he meets in Urus. Mm-hmm. And there's this thread kind of of patriotism versus nationalism. Mm-hmm. Shevik is arguably a patriotic person. Mm-hmm. Patriotism being like having pride in mm-hmm. the place that you come from. I don't know if we want to call it nationalism because they're planets, but that is just like we will pretend that they're their own countries instead of their own planets because the people like that young kid in the syndicate he is a nationalist because he is evangelically like he is reciting he's sanctifying odo's Mm -hmm. name instead of recognizing how can we improve to make this better for our our citizens and i think like that is a defining difference Mm -hmm. like yeah a defining difference between patriotism and nationalism patriotism recognizes the need for improvement and the necessity to do so in order in order to improve a citizen's lives whereas nationalism thinks we need to do it exactly like we're doing it 
the constitution is a dead document. We cannot make edits to it because people don't change kind of thing, which is not true. Yes. And I would actually add as well that I think patriotism has more to do with inside Mm -hmm. the nation. Nationalism is more to distinguish from other nations as superior. Yep. I, I feel like that's it's like the I versus Patriot, patriotism is yeah like more pride mm-hmm. oh like I love my country and then nationalism is like my country that? is the like the country kind of thing yeah, yeah. but yeah. yeah yeah and so that was kind of a subtle little conversation that was happening I guess mm-hmm. as he slowly fell out of Odo ism Odoism mm-hmm. Odonian Adonian. Adonian. Adonism. (laughs) Yeah. We know words. (laughs) Um, Yeah. As he slowly, like, it wasn't necessarily that he's suddenly, like, anti-Odo, but that he has seen the other side now again. Um, Because he talked about, like, he has to leave the organism because the organism Mm -hmm. has become stagnant. Mm -hmm. So it requires him to, one, go out and get other ideas. And two, to break that stack, that, that static nature of, mm-hmm. of their society. Because mm-hmm. um, he talks about sometimes, like, I did this for Anaris. I'm doing this, or yeah, I'm doing this for Anaris. And so at first, you're thinking, oh, he's going to find solutions to their problems, like actively find solutions. He's going to talk to like scientists and shit, and they're going to mm-hmm. figure out how to better, I don't know, like irrigate the planet or something like that. But no, he's doing it in a very, abstract way which is i know my country needs to like rally behind somebody and whether they're yeah. rallying behind me as a hero or as a villain <laughs> of of like a physicist like yeah you yeah. know and not that's, like a like, warrior or anything that's it's also kind of, kind of imperative because odo as far as we know is not like anyone special mm-hmm. she was just somebody with big ideas who helped yeah. them define their new society yeah um and so I love that the simple act of going was what he was doing for his country mm-hmm. rather than like trying to be some superhero coming back with like all of their solutions to their problems, but coming back and recognizing that the work is actually starting now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Kind of moving on to sh- kind of talking about Shavik still mm-hmm. of that in you had so we each chose like a few quotes for like the instagram post and i i i i love this part actually and i think we should do that more because i i'm always so like intrigued by like what stands out to you Mm -hmm. you know i love it so there was this the one where you'd chosen it was something about distrust yeah and i loved that part of the book when Shevik kind of goes on out on his own yeah he goes to find Vea he doesn't at first but that's kind of like he gets out and he's like I should be alone I don't know what's going on yeah and then he realizes because, he can go to her because she's close yeah that's right yeah um he is literally lot like he really sees how in Anaris everyone is it's solidarity everyone is going everyone is helpful there's nothing anyone 
has to, um, there's no secrets. Everyone's everything's like out in the open. Yeah. You're able to trust the people around you, um, to help you because they're just like you, you're on equal footing. Yeah. There's and like, what, there's nothing to lose yes. by not helping you or yes. by helping you. Yes. Vice versa. Yes. Um, and so when he's on Eris, he says, there's this quote. It's really funny. He had often seen that anxiety before in the faces of Erasti and wondered about it. Was it because no matter how much money they had, they always had to worry about making more lest they die poor? Was it guilt because no matter how little money they had, there was always somebody who had less? He had not considered what it might be like to be on in one's own in a society where men did not trust one another, where the basic moral assumption was not mutual aid, but mutual aggression. He was a little frightened, which I'd be, I'd be terrified. That sounds awful. Yeah. Um, Like that, that sudden realization in the middle of that situation. Oh yeah. I would have cried. I would have just gone back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, to be just so like safe and taken care of and then could be completely on your own um and not know how to navigate that yeah like i think it was i can't remember the the guy's names on arrest that were like um showing him around and stuff yeah but one of oh chifoilisk or something he was the one that was like pointing it all out yeah yeah he was like you need to stop trusting everyone you cannot he says you cannot approach people like an individual here you have to see what is behind the powers behind the individual which literally is the definition of enslavement of not being free yeah (laughs) is there's powers behind an individual not the individual itself the conversation that he has with vea where he's kind of like pointing out that she's not free and she's like, mm-hmm. I'm free. But then mm-hmm. even later, she's like, well, you don't think I want this? You don't think like, I'm okay with this? Like, mm-hmm. you guys have to, it sounds like all of your women have such big feet and like, they work so hard and I get to manipulate my man. And like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, it was a gross, I would say like a gross, uh, like archetype or what is the word of like, like an exaggeration caricature almost thank you caricature of like women like that Mm -hmm. but it was also a very simple way to kind of use that to be like but also in the next sentence she says that she's not free and she wants freedom so that she can just be selfish Mm -hmm. which is still not freedom because the point that she's like making that assumption from is a point of subconsciously recognizing all of the powers above her and like influencing her even if she thinks that that's not like up in her like the front brain the Mm -hmm. conscious brain even if she thinks that's not what's actually happening Mm -hmm. um what was it that talker calls them body profiteers yeah and I think that was the first time that I really started to understand like the complexity be- behind the use of the word profiteer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like there's 
even the people who have power do not have power Mm -hmm. because their lives are run by trying to reinforce that power by removing it from others, which Mm -hmm. is not like, that's not, if you were really free, you wouldn't have to spend your time doing that. You could spend your time doing whatever the fuck you wanted, but Mm -hmm. you don't. So. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's good. Okay. It's good. Let me jump then back onto the yes. apolitical conversation, which yes, led me to remembering. Do. Yes. Okay. I don't know if this is going to be like a full conversation, but sure. on the one hand, you've got like Anaris where they believe themselves to be apolitical because of their like anarchist revolutionary roots. And then you jump over to Urus where they kind of actually attempt to be apolitical, but the way that she describes it so when he like when he runs away in that same scene it's when the war in boo has already started Mm -hmm. and so he's talking about like reading the headlines still because he's he's been getting updates and so it'll always be like an update about the war up against the actual scene that's happening which is like in that one it was this cashier being super nice to him Mm-hmm. And so at first they had like a little exchange about the war. And then he's like, all right, well, your total is going to be 1641. Have a great day. It's nice and sunny out like shit like that. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that is really jarring, but also exactly what happens. Like mm-hmm. in the middle of a pandemic, people were just expected to be their same old customer service, customer service self and mm-hmm. ignore the fact that there was like a crisis happening. Mm-hmm. And so like I say apolitical, even though these things shouldn't be political, because our society has established itself in such a way that everything is political, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, and so at the very beginning, like you were saying, like Shavik, I, I shouldn't say the beginning, but chronologically, what is the beginning of his tale? Shavik is attempting to, in some ways, like be apolitically just by the like i can only assume he's a white man because he doesn't seem to be conscious of the systems at all like he's just existing in them very easily you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's invisible labor happening around him that he doesn't seem to recognize Mm -hmm. and not when he's in urus or in urus no in an urus like okay um not like in the physical literal labor labor that we talk about when we're talking about it in like capitalist senses Mm -hmm. but like him not recognizing that the shit that Badaf has to point out to him, him not recognizing yeah. those little elements, like really makes me think he's a white man. Um, which is just our society's kind of imposition of those those things. Who knows what's going on? Pri- privileged. <laughs> that yeah, like who knows what the privilege looks like on Anaris? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's not until he sees them on Urus being very actively apolitical, like aggressively apolitical that he i think sees it for the first time like really sees it not just badap hyping him up and getting him to go on this little trip but like he's talking to vea and she's like well no and he's like i could see that i struck a chord with her so i kind of just dropped the subject which is like that shouldn't have to be like it shouldn't draw such an emotional 
response like that where she's basically like glitching you know um when he brings up what the fact that she's not actually free Mm -hmm. that same conversation where she's like well no you see i'm in charge actually and because i can be a ditz it's like that's not freedom like what do you do actually yeah other than lead men on and then and like invite them to your home tell them to call you give them kisses and then get them really drunk and then embarrass them in front of an entire party yeah like that was sad that was really sad um but also like if we want to talk about this reflecting back to us like outside of the book Mm -hmm. it's very what's the word like something like timely is the word that i'm looking for but it does Mm -hmm. it it feels very relevant currently Mm -hmm. and it's so frustrating because this book was written in the 70s -hmm. and granted in the whole scope of human history and human civilization that is a very small little pebble of time but it's still frustrating to be like to have no progress or to feel like there's no progress you know what i mean Mm -hmm. okay so total unrelated to the book but related to this topic i'm living with my parents okay we watch old shows because it is my parents house i'm not going to deny them their pleasures of watching old shows from the 60s and 70s so there was this show i want to say it was the 70s early 70s i believe and it's called like emergency it's basically about these um i mean there's a hundred shows like this on tv now but i think it was kind of like one of the first and it's the medical team from a fire department and so they go and they like help they Mm -hmm. get calls and like they're fixing helping people whatever but part of the show is also them in their building, department building, mm-hmm. talking and interacting. And the most recent episode that I watched with them had this guy who was a Native American on the team, played by a white guy. So, I mean, not totally progressive, but he, I didn't see the very beginning of the episode, but whatever had happened had brought up the conversation of like land back for Native Americans and I like I shit you not every single point that he had is still when we're talking about like land back for Native Americans in the U.S. the exact talking points that happens and I just remember sitting there thinking one (laughs) yeah exactly like one (laughs) I can't believe they're actually having this conversation in a show that was like aired on television when there was still like six channels so a lot of people saw it Mm -hmm. but two how has literally nothing changed i know and it's really like okay when we had talked about this previously as well like the joke that we're not like other people not everyone wants to read books like this part of it is like it's fucking depressing mm-hmm. to read books like this and to see how very little has changed. Like we have read 
stuff from the past three centuries philosophy political fiction nonfiction, like all like the whole gauntlet we've you and i have read stuff mm-hmm. and there's i don't know if there, i mean like it is bittersweet there's something when you look back to the 1700s and you're reading something and you're like wow it's so crazy that we connect to this 300 mm-hmm. 250 year old person but on the other hand why has nothing changed why is this still like an issue we're having you know mm-hmm. it's really depressing yeah yeah but i love to be depressed it's okay it's okay yeah <laughs> shared suffering yes shared suffering if there's one thing i've learned from this book it's that suffering is inevitable yes two thumbs up from me yes um I actually felt the ending of this book to be surprisingly hopeful. Yes. Um, because it is, yes, <laughs> yes, yes to all yeah. of that. You know, it's just yeah. incredibly depressing to think about. It's also a lot, it's a lot for someone to be um, faced with an alternative society. Mm-hmm. Um, like that could, that, can be really scary for people like there's the whole like people really crave certainty they Mm -hmm. they crave um what they're used to um and the ending of this book was oddly like really uh positive i think because when he meets the gal from the other uh species the other i don't remember her name king do you mean the one on the ship or the one at the embassy? Embassy. Kang. Kang, yes. Um, she's like, I come from a civilization that ruined our earth. Yeah. And we built it back up and it took us a long time, but we got there and we got a little bit of help from the Hainish and all of this. And, you know, we tried, our, we tried anarchy, you know, we did anarchy. And then, so she didn't, on the one hand didn't feel very intrigued by his planet yeah which i was kind of sad about um but also also like i I do think that kind of goes back to like everyone has a different idea of what anarchy is so when she says we tried anarchy what does she actually mean yeah exactly yeah 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 because if if you haven't had any contact with anaris Mm -hmm. what is your anarchy Yeah. yeah um that's a good point but I like this because even just, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest dooms we all face is our planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of, that's, I feel like it's, you know, I guess me personally, just like, how do you, how do you live your life and still feel peace? Yeah at peace with the earth that you're on, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if our entire society is infrastructure is built on waste, um, Mm -hmm. how can you make a difference and how can you, um, you know, live in, um, with a good conscience? I, I've, I've recently just been kind of accepting the fact that we're just going to be a fallout, (laughs) planet someday yep. and that's okay 
Yep. Because sometimes the forest has to burn. And I don't know if that's a popular opinion right now, but I, well, that's also like, that is a literal necessity for nature when native Americans are given. And so like, not just native Americans, but I will say just like indigenous cultures across the, 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 the world generally. So like, I'm talking like Polynesia, parts Mm -hmm. of Africa, the U S the North American continent. I know for sure they actively and seasonally burn parts in -hmm. controlled burns Mm -hmm. because they recognized that that was necessary. Like thousands of years ago, they recognized that that was necessary for nature. And so part of the reason that the forest fires are getting so bad is because that hasn't been done. Mm-hmm. nature actually requires that now mm-hmm. and i guess not now as if like it didn't before but like it does require that because it is part of the process for like replenishing mm-hmm. the environment because it burns down that gets used to like re um fertilize the earth yeah yeah and the new comes out from it like a little yeah. like a phoenix the earth is like a phoenix yeah and we have been denying it it's burning and now it's just doing it it's going to do it with or without us. Exactly. Exactly. So a very apt description, very apt little metaphor there. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah. And so that I felt like that kind of re- her description of her, like society, like really reinforced that like feeling I've been having of just mm-hmm. like this almost kind of like this, not, um, not apathy, but acceptance of, of the fact that just because it was made by man, it was still made on this earth. Mm -hmm. We didn't, we didn't, I'm not justifying it at all, but kind of like in the grand scheme of the universe, Mm -hmm. like we're not immortal, (laughs) you know? Like the, the planet to is going to outlive us. Yeah. To, yeah. Think, to think that we're immortal is very um, juvenile or naive. It's very capitalist too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the idea, like our, our fear of death as a culture is very rooted in capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think, we, I mean, we've joked about this in the podcast almost certainly because I love joking about midlife crises. But that is very rooted in a fear of death and a fear of not leaving behind the right things, of not having lived the right life. Um, mm-hmm. And so like kind of going back to your original point too of the the mood of the ending of the book, it's very hopeful because it's open-ended. Mm-hmm. Like like the uh, Kang, when she's talking about it, she talks very kind of like matter of fact, it ended. Mm-hmm. We tried some stuff. We were kind of helped. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Whereas Anaris is very much at the beginning of that, that possibility. Mm-hmm. And as a culture are defined and attempting to redefine themselves by revolution. Mm-hmm. And so I think Anaris is a much better chance. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. I'm really glad we did this. Yeah, I love this book. I, I'm like, I was telling Miles, like, I think this might be my my new favorite book. I I could read this a million times. I this is my new island book. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, 
um the number of books that like we've read on the podcast that I'm like wow I'm gonna have to reread that at some point is honestly just too long I know the list is too long I know um, that's what audiobooks are great for though yes so now I'm like okay I have a, something I can listen to on audible that I don't you know anyway yeah, yeah. I got this one on audiobook yeah so I have the like my pretty physical copy yes and then the audiobook there was a point when like I know I knew that I needed to read at least like three chapters to stay on track and so I had the audiobook going at like 2.5 speed uh-huh. while I was reading the book so that way I could like follow along so yeah that made it very easy to read the book fast but yeah yeah I yeah I, re- I read it pretty quickly too I read it in a couple of days I was just yeah. so I mean I put had the weekend off yeah 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 I have my old I was I was the kid and kid I was the kid in class that got it from like discoverbooks.com or like you know the the old versions and so I would be like oh yeah on page you know 192 and then they their page numbers would be completely different I'm like sorry and I'm just that I'm that bitch that's like I'm on like a completely different page number but I'm like I refuse to get a new copy I want an old one (laughs) I will tell you right now I would have hated you in that situation oh yeah I know you would yeah I like like, give me the page yeah yeah I like to be on the same page as the teacher like I remember in elementary school I used to like honestly right up until like probably sophomore year of college actually elementary school is being very generous to myself if they said like get this copy of the book I would get that copy of the book because they'd reference things and I'd have to like you'd have to know it I'd have, no, I'd have to be able to read it read along but mm-hmm. I'm also I mean we've we've mentioned we've talked about it, like I'm a very visual person sometimes when I'm just hearing things my processing goes so slow that I just I'm like right yeah so yeah. <laughs> yeah um but we didn't meet then so. <laughs> no we didn't we weren't we didn't know each other yeah so we met when it was much safer for us to be friends yeah <laughs> for my own sanity and yours yes okay well okay I want to see what is next yes I was just thinking that what are I, I think we next week we're going to be talking about a river enchanted by rebecca ross i've only i'm only three pages in yes so far i'm very interested yeah very excited i i i realize i really like Oh, you got the library book. Yeah. Very good. I went to the like that was the library that I used to go to as like a teenager. Oh, it was so nice. So it's also exciting. so fancy now. Like they they're they're mm. like checkout kiosks are like super techy. I was I've never felt older in my life. I went over and I was just like I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's talking to me and I don't yeah. know what it wants. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, okay, sorry, sorry, I interrupted. No, you yeah, more. I think I think I really like celtic mm-hmm. lore based fantasy i'm such an anglophile <laughs> you are in the right i room. am yeah <laughs> like i mean i've been i've wanted to go to england since i was like before i can remember and oh, then yeah. i did and i cried so yeah um 
and woodland things like that kind of like fantasy so this is going to be on the celtic end i believe mm -hmm. right i think it's supposed to be kind of in scotland yeah they, they say isle a lot so yeah <laughs> i'm excited well thank you to all of our lovely listeners yes thank you for joining us again until next week happy reading happy reading bye bye Excuse me.